Well, good morning again and welcome to Trinity. It's good to see you here in person. It's good to have you with us online. It's good to turn to God's Word together. We find in it encouragement for our lives. We find in it exhortation for how to go about living out our lives. We see the character of God on display. It is good for us to go to God's Word together. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up that Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. We're going to read verses 7 through 10 as we continue on in our um, very long sentence. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14 is just one long sentence in the original language, and we are considering it in parts. This is part two of three parts to take this, these verses in. So let's read verses 7, uh, 1 through 10. Um, you switch the lights, uh, it's a little hard to see right here. Thank you. Starting in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan to the, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Let's pray. God, as we consider your word this morning, we certainly ask that you would help us take in all that we read here. So incredible is this work that the Son has accomplished for us. And I pray that our hearts would be greatly encouraged, be filled with faith, soar in worship, and be strengthened to live after you. Would you be with the preaching, and the hearing, and the receiving, and the believing, and the trusting of this your word to your glory, and to our good we pray, in Christ's name, amen. I remember the first time that I drove up the California coast. It was in January of 2008. I was alone, visiting with pastors and churches as we prepared to Moved to California for some church planting work. Landed in LAX. I had a meeting to go to in the Central Coast. And there were a couple of ways that you could get there. But the slightly longer way involved weaving over to and then along Highway 1. I'm so glad I chose that route. Once I finally got dislodged from the clogged chaos of LA freeways... That ride up the coast was a never-ending discovery of one incredible vista after another. Beautiful blue sky, rolling Pacific Ocean, cliffs that towered over the beaches, and a road that hugged the edges of those cliffs. Upon each curve was the discovery of a brand new, breathtaking bay. I felt like I was in a car commercial. In fact, some of that stretch was and is and will always be in car commercials. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is the highway one along the California coast of Scripture. It curve, each curve bends into another 
breathtaking view of God's overwhelming grace. Last week we considered the view of the Father's purpose. How He has blessed us beyond measure. How He has chosen us and predestined us so that we would know Him and be known by Him. That we would have all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. Today we get to soak in the vista of how the Son accomplished the Father's good purpose. And what it might mean for us today and forever. Let's go on some bends. Let's see some breathtaking, beautiful bays overlooking an incredible vista of God's grace to us. Ultimately, I hope we believe what we are considering. Ultimately, I hope that what we look at, what we behold in these few verses, we look at through faith, that we believe this. This is the heart of God's purpose in history for us. I hope we believe this. I hope we believe what the Son accomplished. I hope we believe how the Son accomplished. I hope we believe why the Son accomplished. I hope we believe these words. We don't just go through the motions of a religious person, but that we would be people believing, full-hearted belief in all that God has done for us through His Son, Jesus. Let's tackle that together. And may God be gracious to us. And may we believe. And maybe we're like the man who brought his, his son to Jesus. And he said, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe that describes you today. You believe, but you need help for your unbelief. And I pray and I hope that these words that we consider will be just that. That help for your unbelief. First, we have what the Son accomplished. As we consider these verses, we need to take in. What does He accomplish? And He accomplishes life-giving redemption. He accomplishes the greatest news of all of history. There will be no greater news than what we just said. Jesus accomplishes life-giving redemption. Verse 7 says... In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Trespasses is another word, a synonymous word for sins. The forgiveness of our sins. Here we have redemption. Where? In Jesus. Jesus has accomplished it for us. He has accomplished us redemption. But what is redemption? At its heart, at its kernel form, redemption is a release. It is to release from captivity, to liberate, to liberate someone from captivity. That's what redemption, to redeem means, to release from captivity. It carries with it echoes from Exodus. A couple of years ago, we went through Exodus as we were going through COVID. And in that, we constantly kept coming back again and again to the idea that God has delivered his people. He has Release them from captivity. And the Exodus story echoes and reverberates through Scripture and reaches its fulfillment in Jesus. Exodus story points to Jesus. 
It's incredible. Exodus 6.6 6 says this. God speaking to Moses to have Moses speak to the people. There, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. That is at the heart of God's purpose in history for humanity, for His people. That He would rescue them, redeem them with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. In the Exodus story, the people of God were in bondage and slavery in Egypt and God delivered them from captivity. And that is to to read that and to see that storyline progress through Scripture leads us to see how Jesus does that on our behalf. Exodus prepares our hearts for the gospel. The God who brought the people out of Egypt is the God who brings you up out of your sin. Out of its cap- the captivity to it. So it's a release. It is a liberation from the captivity of sin. Now that tells us something very important about the nature and scope of sin. The nature and scope of sin is that not only does it bring death and separation from God, but that it shackles us down into that death and separation. It holds us in captivity to that death and separation. See, sin is likened to, but worse than Egypt, it holds us in bondage. So not only does our sin separate us from God, but our sin keeps us separated. We're not just going to wander our way back into God's good graces. That's not the nature of sin. It's suffocating. It's, it's choking. It's constricting. We don't like to think of it that way because Because we have to admit that that's the thing operating in us. But until we think of sin as that devastating, that damaging, that that oppressive, then we won't fully grasp how glorious this work is that Jesus has accomplished for us. So we have to get the bad news for the good news to be so good. That our hearts are held in captivity. I love what Jesus says. John chapter 8. A bit of a back and forth. He's wanting to press home the real problem and the real hope. And in John chapter 8, verses 34 and into 35, we, we read these words. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practice sin, practices sin is a slave to sin. Is a slave to sin. There's no breaking free from it. It masters us. It controls us. That's the devastating nature of sin. It's not, a, a, it's not just a, you're unhealthy. No, you're, you're trapped under its bondage. You're not basically good doing bad things occasionally. No, we're slaves to sin. That's, that's just, we have to be honest with ourselves about that. But Jesus continues. Yes, he says, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. So then, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Because Jesus is greater than sin. 
Jesus is greater than our sin. Jesus is greater than the shackles of sin. Because in Jesus we have redemption. We have release. We have liberation from those bondages. Jesus indeed sets the sinner free. That's what we have in redemption. That's what we celebrate and rejoice over in communion. That Jesus sets us free. Sin is that serious. Another aspect and dynamic of redemption uh, helps us understand how then does that happen? How does that release from slavery happen? How does that bondage from captivity happen? Well, it's nuanced in our passage. It says that it is in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Forgiveness. It is a forgiveness secured for us. Forgiveness means a remission of the penalty. That the cost has been paid in order to grant the release. That there was a penalty, a a penalty that sat over us that we could never break free from because we did not have the resources to pay the cost. We did not have enough in the moral bank, the spiritual bank, to any bank, to pay for the release from captivity. So the nature and scope of Jesus' liberating work is that He pays for the release. He buys it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, through 10, 19-20, through 20, excuse me, says you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. That Jesus bought, the, bought us with a price, that He paid for the remission of that penalty, that He secured that forgiveness. It's incredible. Like we, we can just keep like driving along that coast of this glorious passage. In every bend, we see something even more incredible, more amazing about the nature and character of God on display in all that He has done for us in our redemption. And that's just it. All that He has done to us, for us, on our behalf. We have redemption. That means we are recipients of it. We are receiving it. We didn't muster up the moral strength to overcome the shackles of our sin. We didn't devise a scheme to outwit the consequences of sin. We weren't spending our lives just channeling a little bit more out of the wall of that prison and shaking that dirt off into the prison grounds and just a little bit by little bit digging our way to freedom. No, we didn't do anything. We are the recipients of all that was done. God did it through the Son. So how? How then did Christ go about bringing about our liberation from captivity? How did Jesus pay for our release? Verse 7 is overwhelmingly and abundantly clear. Through 
his blood. Again, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. As we have noted from the start of our series in Ephesians, Jesus plays a central role in understanding God's purposes. A few weeks ago in week one, we noted that the, at the start of our series in Ephesians, Jesus is, is at the center of this gospel grammar. That it is of Jesus and in Jesus and from Jesus that we're considering these incredible truths in this letter. Last week we saw that Jesus is the means by which the Father's purposes happen to bless us and to choose us, how they came to be. And here we see an even grittier detail that it is only through Jesus, in Him, we have redemption. It is only through Jesus that this remarkable redemption is accomplished. And it's accomplished through His blood. Through His blood communicates to us the high cost of our redemption. The payment for our release from the captivity of sin. The penalty by which we desperately needed forgiveness from. It's all met by the blood of Jesus. All of it. For all of God's people. From all of history. By the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus is shorthand for the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. It is at the heart of the gospel. And we find the person and work of Christ. It's through the sacrifice of the Son in the place of sinners that God graciously brings about our salvation. That in the life and the death and the resurrection of the Son of God, we sinners deserving none of that receive redemption. We respond to such news with faith that we trust That Jesus is our only means. That it is indeed in Christ alone. That our hope is found. That redemption is received. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of what Ephesians is expounding upon. This is the heart of the story of the Bible. It's all leading to this. And this that we find here in Jesus reverberates for all eternity. It reverberates through all of our lives and it reverberates through all of eternity. There will be a great number of redeemed people, far too many to count, that will be glorifying the King, the Redeemer, for all eternity. That means that His blood carries with it Enormous value. What's remarkable is that redemption is free to us. It's free to us. We contribute nothing to it. It's free to us because Jesus paid an incalculable cost. Jesus' sacrifice, his sacrificial death, didn't go about making redemption possible. If only you contributed something to it. No, Jesus' payment of his life, the through his blood, made redemption actual because he paid it in full. 
full measure. Nothing left over for us to face. Nothing left for us to pay. He paid it in full. All of it. Every single cent. Also means that our redemption is not on layaway. Some of you youngins, younger than me, you have no idea what that word means. None. Layaway. What? Are you, what? I remember as a kid, I think I was in sixth grade, I was saving up money to buy this really cheap and generic paintball gun. And the Toys R Us that I was buying it from. Yeah, an actual brick and mortar Toys R Us. Had a layaway. And my mom let me put it on layaway. And of course, after many months of saving, I went and finished off the purchase. What layaway means is you put a little bit down, the store will hold it. And then when you have all the rest of it, then you can come and buy it. So I had all the rest. I bought that little paintball gun and it broke the first day. Your redemption is not on layaway. Jesus didn't put a little bit down for you to pay later. He didn't even put most of it down for you to pay just a little bit later. There's nothing about it on layaway. It's paid in full. It is right here in full measure for you. This is what we have in redemption. Jesus Paid it in full, once for all, no uncertainty left for you to face, just wide open vista of joy and freedom. God has made the way and is only found in Christ. What did Jesus accomplish? He accomplished our redemption. How does he do it? Through his blood. Why? Why did he do it? Well, that's such a multi-leveled and layered answer. And the rest of the letter actually gets into all the many whys. But here, there's a couple of things to note. Why the Son accomplished. Ultimately, to fulfill God's gracious plan. The Son accomplished because He was fulfilling God's gracious plan. Let's look at the last part of 7 and and into verse 8 of this letter. So, He did all of this according to the riches of His grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So part of this gracious plan of God is to understand it as that. It's lavished grace. Why did Jesus do this? Because of God's lavished grace. That was done according to his grace. Grace is the answer to the why. Why would God purpose our redemption? Why would Jesus endure such a cost? It cost him his blood. Why would he endure that? Grace. Grace. Let's just be very clear about grace. It's an otherwise generic word. Like the word love can be used in so many ways. Grace kind of loses its meaning just because it can be used as a catch-all for so much. But what is grace? Well, it just very woodenly... Let's define it. It is the unmerited favor of God. Grace. The unmerited favor of God. Just walk through that phrase 
with us. First word, unmerited. It means we didn't earn it. There wasn't anything about us that made God respond in such a way as if we deserved it. There was no sort of condition that was activated by our, hey, we're pretty good people living, that then made God say, well, I'll just finish it off with this redemption. It's unmerited. We did not deserve it. Shows us something about the character of God. Secondly, it's the unmerited favor of God. It is the benevolence and the kindness and the goodness of God moved into action to us, for us, and in us. The favor of God on people living in rejection of God. Who are shackled in their sin. Who aren't just basically good. But are actively enemies to God's character. And His ways. And His word. And His works. It wasn't just people that He liked. That got along with Him. No. The Bible says that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. He did this. His favor was on us even as we actively were enemies. And then it's of God. Grace is of God. Whatever we say of grace or see on the, on the pages of Scripture, it's revealing to us the nature and character of God. Why did Jesus pay such an enormous cost? Because of the unmerited favor of God in action. What Jesus accomplished and how Jesus accomplished all points to the why Jesus accomplished. God's grace. And that grace is lavished upon us. Lavished. Lavished means the overflowing Overly abundant furnishing of God's grace. It's overwhelming in its amount. It's overwhelming in its scope. God poured out His grace upon us through Christ so overwhelmingly that it overflows with abundance. I mean, it's hard not to think the imagery of a spring that never stops overflowing, bubbling up, Flowing outward. Nothing but life teeming all around it. God's grace is is that overflowing spring. It's important for us to think of that idea of grace being lavished upon us. Because our hearts want to believe wrongly about God. I can say that with confidence because it's just part of the human experience. So I know... The own pull to these things. To think that God is frugal or miserly with His grace. Disinterested or obligated. Do you ever think about God in that way? He's disinterested in your life or obligated some reason to do something for you. Lose sight of the fact that He has lavished us with His grace. The lavishing of His grace is most displayed in the person and work of Christ. We 
We sometimes believe wrongly about God and His character. We don't think of Him as the one who lavishes. And yet we need to rehearse to ourselves the gospel in which the lavished grace of God is on full display. We also find as another reason why is that Jesus is revealing the mystery of God's purpose. Look at verse 9. In verse 9 it says, making known to us, through Jesus that is, making known to us the mystery of his will will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. The gospel is not a puzzle to solve, but the hidden purposes of God revealed on full display. Jesus isn't a puzzle. He's revealing the purposes of God. The purposes of God were baked into the story of Scripture. As you read your Bible from beginning to the end, you see hints and shadows and promises and pictures of what would come into full view in the personal work of Christ. So much so, and I mean this earnestly to you, if you want to better understand your Bible, then you need to better understand your Savior. And if you want to better understand the depth of redemption that your Savior has secured for you, then you better understand your Bible. The Bible is leading up to all that Christ is. It is showing us the way. It is showing us in the people of the Old Testament, in the promises of the Old Testament, in the prophecy of the Old Testament, in the pictures of the Old Testament. It's all leading us to Christ, and Christ is that on full display. In fact, even better than the shadows that lead us there. And as we see Christ, then we better understand all that we were reading and leading up to Him, are flowing from Him. He is at the heart of the story of Scripture. So know Jesus in order to know your Scripture. And as you know your Scripture, you come to know Jesus in greater ways. He is making it known. The mystery is revealed through Christ. The Father's purpose, which is anchored in eternity past, is revealed in time and space and history for all to see in the person and work of Christ. If you want to know God's purpose, there it is. If you want to know God's character, there it is. If you want to know the nature and character and depth of the lavish grace of God, there it is. And we get so worn out in this world that beats us down with all kinds of competing saviors. Competing gods. Competing things to pull the allegiance of our heart to. We feel weary in that. Or we feel worn down with our sin and we feel overwhelmed by its ongoing struggle in our hearts. And we we need something. Both the weariness of this world and the weariness of our sin have an antidote to them. And that is to behold the glory and grace of God in the person and work of Christ matters to us always. Jesus is a bigger deal than you can even dream. Thirdly, in terms of the why that we find in our passage, there are many whys and we'll get into more whys as we go through this letter. Not only is it lavish grace that Jesus did it, not only is it to reveal the mystery that Jesus did it, but it's to sum up all things in Christ. To sum up all things in Christ. Look at verse 10. All of this is a plan 
for the fullness of time, there was a particular moment when this was all going to burst forth into time and space and history. And that plan was to unite all things in Him, that is in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. The verb there for unite carries with it the meaning of to sum up. It's all summed up in Jesus. That Jesus wraps up all of God's purposes for everything, everywhere, ever. What Jesus accomplished and how Jesus accomplished and why Jesus accomplished reverberates through our lives, reverberates through the cosmos, reverberates through the heavens, reverberates through history, reverberates through eternity. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. So that is center stage of God's eternal purposes. Center stage of God's redemptive history. Center stage to the entire cosmos. Center stage to your life right now. Here, now, in this very moment, the center stage of it all is Jesus. I hope this is overwhelmingly good news for you. That Jesus is so big, so great, so grand, and yet so gracious that He's entered all the way in. So He's so big and yet so near. And that you read these verses and you realize Jesus is a really big deal. He's supernatural. And yet, at the same time, He's so relevant for our lives. He's our only hope. So you read this and you realize everything is wrapped up into Jesus. That He orders galaxies. Think about that. He is ordering galaxies. And yet, He entered into the dust of our humanity. Jesus defeats principalities and darkness and evil. And yet, he also draws near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. In him, we have this redemption. Through his blood. The forgiveness of our By His lavish grace. Revealing to us the mystery of God's purposes. And summing up all things everywhere. Ever. Under Him. What do we do with such truth? Well, My first point of immediate and ongoing application is. That when you see these verses. And you read them and take them in. That you respond to what the Son accomplished. With faith. That there it is on full display. That you respond with faith. That you believe this. You believe this, Jesus. And that if you already have responded with faith. That you, your saving faith in Christ, it's there. And yet you struggle with the ins and outs of doubt. It lingers in and it creeps in. Then you come back to these verses again and again. And you respond by saying, I believe, help my unbelief. Secondly, what do we do in response to such a thing? Well, you rehearse. You rehearse how the Son accomplished. You rehearse that with hope. You rehearse that with hope that His blood is sufficient for your salvation. That no sin of yours is so great that it will cause you to be dislodged from His grip around you. No sin of someone else is so strong 
that it will that will unclench his grip around your life. So you rehearse that with hope, even if you are despairing, weary, worn out, threadbare. Rehearse this with hope. And then lastly, I hope that you're able to read this and rejoice over why the Son accomplished with great joy. That you are able to read this and, and take this in and rejoice with a great joy. A joy that's inexpressible and almost without words. A joy that has no bounds because Christ has no bounds. That even in the downcast of our souls, even in the darkest of nights, that we can turn to Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, and read and rejoice, even mixed with tears, even mixed with sorrow, even mixed with heartache, that we see yet something greater on display. This is all here for us. We have this redemption in Him, through His blood. May we respond with belief, May we rehearse with hope. May we rejoice with great joy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these incredible words, this incredible Savior, this remarkable redemption. And for every one of us in here, struggling or wrestling with doubt and unbelief, Sinking with despair and feeling overwhelmed. Downcast. Because this life is hard and hard things and bad things happen. And sometimes we are the hard and the bad things that happen. God, I pray that you would use this incredible truth. To lift up our hearts. To lift up our gaze. To see your lavished grace in the person and work of Christ. And that even as we struggle with unbelief, even as we struggle in despair, even as we languish with downcast hearts, O God, that you would lift us up and bring the stability of faith and the strength of hope and the passion of joy, even in the midst of those struggles. And we would see it here in Christ. And we would rejoice over this redemption we have. God, would you do it, we pray. In Christ's name, for his glory and our good. Amen. From Hebrews 7. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Would you please stand as we acknowledge Jesus as our source of hope, redemption, and stability, bringing him glory and honor.
All the glory to his name indeed. As you go out these doors uh, into the week ahead, just keep in mind we have a few things coming up in this month. If you're new or newer to Trinity, we'd love to connect with you with a newcomer's lunch in a couple of Sundays, October 16th. Be great if you registered or let us know in some measure so that we can appropriately plan for that. But just a time to connect and share a little bit about the heart of our church and ways in which you can feel connected. And so that's in a couple of weeks. And then at the end of the month, we'll have a three-week class for membership. So if you're interested in membership at Trinity, what it looks like to belong and uh, maybe just curious on what that would look like, we'd love for you to be a part of that class, and we'll share more along the way. All right, that said, when we go, let's go with these words that we find at the end of Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, go. Go with peace and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.